Are you an early stage founder revolutionizing the future of retail? Then you're in the right place. My name is Sapna Shah, and I'm an angel investor investing at the pre-seed stage in retail tech, e-commerce, and digitally native brands. I'm also the founder of Retail X Series, an in-real-life event series based in New York to help early stage founders think through topics like customer acquisition, sales pipelines, branding, financial modeling, fundraising, and more. In this podcast, I interview founders and investors who've spoken at RetailX Series events in the past, and we dig deep into the tactics around key topics that early stage founders want to hear about. Welcome to the RetailX Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the RetailX Series Podcast. I'm your host, Sapna Shah. Today's episode is all about getting to traction. Many of you have probably heard from investors that you need to show traction before raising your first round of outside capital. Well, what is Traction and how do you get there? Our guest today, Jacqueline Ward, one of the co-founders of Our Story Bridal, will share her perspective on how she gained significant traction in her business before raising her first round of capital. Welcome to the podcast, Jacqueline. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're very excited to hear from you. So let's start with some background. Jacqueline, can you tell us a little bit about your company, how long you've been in business and what your role in the company is? Sure. So our company is Our Story Bridal. We've been around for about three years. And what we do is we help brides and people who own sellers buy and sell pre-owned wedding dresses. So for brides, we give them a beautiful environment to choose from a a wide array of um, pre-owned and sampled discounted wedding dresses, all designers and curated. And then for the sellers, we give them a hassle-free way to sell their wedding dress after their wedding if they don't want to keep it afterwards. And you have a physical location, is that correct? Yes, so we have a location in New York. That's great. So you've been in business for about three years, and the hardest thing that we're talking about today is getting that elusive traction so that angels and VC investors are ready to hear your story and fund your business, whether that's kind of at the pre-seed or seed round. So let's talk more specifically about that. How did you launch your idea? Did you go all out on building a brand and your fiscal store? Did you quit your job right away? Kind of walk us through those first steps. Yeah, so for us, it was always just baby steps. My co-founder and I really believed in first learning about the market, learning about everything before we launched to the next level. So this idea really just came about from a personal need. Like I was trying to sell my wedding dress after the wedding, and the only option was online. And Without having a physical presence or a brick and mortar, it was hard for people to understand what size my dress was. And it was also hard for me to feel through all the questions and kind of avoid all the online scams. And my co-founder took her two years to sell her dress online. So we knew that there was something here with combining the brick and mortar with the um, great inventory of pre-owned wedding dresses. And so for us to test this idea, people were even interested. We started just posting um, messages on Facebook, um, like mom groups asking if they had any pre-owned wedding dresses that they want to sell. And then we also started hosting pop-ups in our friend's, um, jewelry showroom that was actually closed during the weekend. So we hosted five pop-ups and then the first one, it was a bit disastrous. There were, we had maybe two signups and we had a hundred percent no shows. And we like <laughs> learned with each one of the pop-ups and by the third one, we had a waiting list of 300 brides. And that's what gave confidence because we are a two-sided marketplace that we would have people wanting to sell their pre-owned wedding dresses but also more importantly brides were in this moment excited and wanting to look for pre-owned wedding dresses as well versus buying a completely new one 
And that's what we first started with before launching into a six-month lease. And then we signed a two-year lease. And now we're signing a slightly longer lease. But we always believe in giving us ourselves flexibility, not knowing what the future might look like. So when you got that confirmation that there is something there, that you know you had these pop-ups that started working, how did you bootstrap then you know, from that beginning point? Because you, you hadn't raised any money yet. So were you self-funding it? Did you have any other resources that helped you get to that six-month lease? Yeah, I think it was a couple of things. The first thing is that you know the magic of our business model is that we are on consignment, our inventory is, which means that we don't have to pay for any money up front for the inventory since we pay a commission once the inventory item sells. So that helps, significantly helps in terms of the cash outlay up front. The second thing is just being very, very scrappy. It was a lot of DIY and it wasn't perfect. We had um, in the jewelry showroom, she had these like large portfolio boards that she would use to take um, photos uh, as a backdrop. And we use that for the fitting room. So we really, and we moved the dresses ourselves. We would zip them up. Our other friend has a moving company. We, um, you know, hired her truck for like $50 an hour. We got a storage unit. So we were really lean on our expenses just before um, testing out the idea to to make sure that we had an idea before we invested too much into it. And were there, did you consider at that point, once you'd had some, you know, confirmation that there was something in this idea, did you consider raising money at that point before you, you know, signed the six-month lease? I think that we still, because it was such a lean operation and we were making revenues, since we were selling dresses right away, so we had enough money to cover our expenses we wanted to take more time to learn about the customer to learn about you know what are the building blocks to the business model you know the front of shop what are the things that we have to get correct for the back of shop all the processes single skew inventory management thinking through all the system and processes we just want to be more comfortable about the business itself the market the customers itself before we went out to raise money just so we can have a better vision of what we were trying to go after, as well as how to get there and what to use the money on. And was that the same consideration, you know, if you were thinking about other sorts of funding, like crowdfunding or Kickstarters, you know, debt funding? I mean, it sounds like you had a real focus on making sure you had the elements of the business correct, but were, did you think about some of these other areas as well in terms of raising non-traditional capital? So we looked at crowdfunding for a little bit, but then again, we still weren't comfortable with taking outside money yet because, you know, large part was that we were cash flow positive and, you know, we knew that we had to compromise on certain things. Like, you know, as we built to our second showroom that was a little bit bigger than the six monthlies, we bought wallpaper, but we did it ourselves. So I think we were still comfortable making kind of these scrappy decisions that aligned with what cash we had in the bank. And so because of that, we didn't have too much pressure to go look for outside money, um, whether it was like crowdfunding. But we did entertain that idea in the beginning. But again, we just weren't comfortable going out outside uh, for funding yet. That makes sense. So in your business, though, you do physically have to hold all this inventory. But as you mentioned, it's on consignment. So that seemed key to the model back then, you know, in those early days that you wouldn't have to take on that um, that cost. But was the rationale for cash conservation, have you ever thought about changing that as you kind of go forward? Are there, you know, dresses that you want to hold in inventory and going forward, would you actually own more of your inventory and have a little bit more control of it? Yeah. So I think like in the beginning, it definitely was, you know, a twofold strategy. One was to help conserve cash. The second that is, you know, 
even more important is that we weren't sure where to place the bets in terms of buying which wedding dresses. Wedding dresses, there's such an emotional purchase versus like buying, going to Gap and buying white t-shirt where you, it's a little bit more of a functional purchase. And for us, even to this day, like a bride can't explain why she loves a wedding dress. It could be that, you know, she had the right people there. It could be that, you know, the lighting was just hitting her the right way when she took the photo in our, in our showroom. So I think it's because such an emotional purchase that um, we want to make sure that we have enough variety, enough volume of wedding dresses. And for the volume of wedding dresses that we need, I think, um, again, the cash constraint would be too much for us to carry on and by buying the inventory. So I think consignment is still going to be a big part of our business model moving forward, at least for the next two, three years. That makes a lot of sense. Again, on a similar note, I mean, your entire business model is about having a physical experience. As you just mentioned, that's a very emotional experience to buy a wedding gown. So can you tell us how you scaled that experience and your showroom space over time, again, without raising kind of, you know, millions of dollars of VC capital? Yeah, so I think it's going step by step versus, you know, our first six uh, month lease was only one fitting room. And then we, uh, the one that we are currently living now is was three and it became four. And now we're moving into six, seven to eight fitting rooms. So I think it was growing more organically that way helped a lot too. The second thing was, was also Anna and I took appointments ourselves. So we took appointments ourselves for, you know, um, for over a year and learning what brides want. We had just gone through the process ourselves and thinking about, you know, how do you make that quintessential bridal experience? where you make her feel comfortable, you make her feel special and excited to be there. And then how do you break it down to something that's a little bit more scalable in terms of a process, in terms of training manuals. And that's how we thought about scaling the experience because it is so important. We want to make sure that every bride does have a truly special experience with us. So part of that experience though, is the brand, right? You have sort of the, you're a consumer facing business. You have this brand called Our Story Bridal. Branding firms are really expensive. I get a lot of questions from early stage entrepreneurs on whether it's worth it to hire one of the big branding firms, you know, to get kind of your brand experience correct, particularly in a physical location, but even on an online sense and logos and all of that sort of thing. Did you hire a branding firm early on? And kind of what was your thought process about doing branding without having a lot of money to spend on it? Yeah, so it's it's been tricky, not have enough money to spend on like a big name branding firm because I think you know when you seek these outside help it's two parts you think you're helping hoping to outsource one is the thought leadership how do you evolve the brand how do you drive the brand and the second part is the execution and I think we always went in thinking oh we have a little bit of money let's throw it at branding and then we wanted both things for a small small budget and in reality it was really hard to get both until you know you can hire and have a bigger budget and for us we realize that we know our brand the best. We know our customers the best. We're the ones who are able to push the brand a little bit further than maybe an outsider would, at least at the one that we could afford at the time. And so for us, we've always tried to outsource a little bit of it. It never worked out. We would bring it back in and then, you know, we would then work on it, take the time. That's the thing key. You have to take the time to do it ourselves and make sure that we were able to execute. And that's where having a good team we have a great creative director and I also came from the branding world myself so then we took it back in-house and then pushed it along ourselves a little bit and how much of that branding that you've kind of done so far you know you mentioned earlier that things weren't perfect in the beginning you know how close to perfect do you think you you were able to get without spending a lot of money here I think 
it's getting to good enough. I don't, I think perfect is quite elusive. And I think for us, it's really prioritizing what was important to her when she thinks about us as a brand. And, you know, for example, reviews are super important to our reputation. So our Yelp reviews or Google or Wedding Wire, the not reviews. And I think that's something that, you know, will trump anything that just looks pretty and, you know, beautiful on the website or in the store. So I think we prioritize that first. And then, you know, we spent some time on the logo. We did spend some time on the color palette thinking about, you know, what does our story brand mean? Like, what do we stand for? And then we use those as our guiding principles to kind of help us execute on the other parts of the branding. And then as you think about the other side of kind of this larger marketing conversation, and you alluded to this a little bit earlier, there is also this customer acquisition piece that people spend a lot of money, entrepreneurs spend a lot of money on Facebook and Instagram to get those customers in those early days. You know, your experience is a little bit different since it's more of an offline experience. How did you deal with customer acquisition in those early days? Yeah, so we actually did spend some good money on a great digital marketing consultant who helps us with these the testing of these different platforms. So we tested on social media with ads. We tested on you know Yelp. We tested on Google AdWords. And then from there, we started narrowing in on which services were the best for us. And that's how we got there, which is through a lot of testing, just having a little bit more budget up front to test different, different vehicles with different ads, with different communications, and then whittling down and then pushing all the money towards the ones that you know will work based on your test from the prior round. So switching gears slightly, we've talked a lot about some of the tactics you use to kind of get to the place that you are today. Now let's talk about how you le- leveraged that. So you're raising a round right now. It's your first kind of major outside round of capital. What are you hearing from investors about the traction you've gotten to date? And are there metrics that they have been focused on in terms of your business? Yeah. So I think, you know, coming from the bridal world, the investor perception is that, oh, you only see this customer one time. And because of that, for us, we have to prove that there's a high customer lifetime value per that one customer. Um, I think the benefit for our business is that because we are a consignment business, we can see her both as a bride and as a seller. So we kind of actually do get to see her twice versus other more traditional bridal retailers. So for us, it was definitely the customer lifetime value and ask, and also I'm sure for a, more businesses than bridal, the customer acquisition costs as well. So understanding the um, profitability per customer was very, very important to the investors we were talking to, especially because of the bridal, the frequency that you see the customer. And I think revenues they cared about definitely, as well as the growth from year over year over year and understanding that we completely bootstrapped this ourselves. And I think that was quite Um, interesting and impressive to investors. And I would say the third thing was just understanding your business model, understanding what are the things that that push it forward? What are the kind of core elements and focuses for your business model versus becoming too distracted and just being sure that you are comfortable and confident with the strategy and with the underlying steps to get to that strategy. And did you have pushback on the fact that you have a physical kind of offline experience a lot of a lot of companies that have gone that physical route have gotten you know in at least from my sense a lot of pushback that you know this business should be more online yeah and I think it's I think it's a few things Um, we definitely have um, I think you know sometimes especially certain types of investors and for us that's when we have had to learn during this fundraising process to target. I mean, when I was first talking to you know tech investors who they the brick and mortar idea had 
made no sense to them. I mean, it was just, you know, they'd never thought of that before. So I think the first step is definitely target your investors, look for ones you think would be more open and excited by your business model. And the second thing was just having data to support the reasons why you need it. So, you know, having market analysis showing that, you know, a significant majority of brides still buy in the brick and mortar for their wedding dress, knowing that, you know, our, um, the cost of our rent, the um, sales per square footage, having the data to support these questions, I think also helped to overcome how skeptical they were that we had a brick and mortar store. That's some really good advice. I think that data piece is something that a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, don't have in early in their fundraising process and realize relatively quickly that it's going to be really important. So thank you for sharing. So everyone says that fundraising is a full-time job. You're kind of in the thick of it. How have you continued to show traction and run your business while fundraising? Yeah, so I think it's a couple things. One was just learning the hard way, as I mentioned before, about focus. I think before I spent so much time talking to the wrong people, which was helpful because it helps craft your pitch. It helps anticipate which questions, which concerns that they have. But it definitely did, you know, waste a lot of time by talking to the wrong people. So I think I wish I had a better focus up front um, and a more targeted list of individuals. I think that would have helped. The second thing is delegation. I have a great co-founder. I have a great, you know, team of people, including an amazing creative director and having them, you know, communicating with them. Um, delegating the the responsibilities that I would have had to take on if I weren't fundraising. So making sure the communications, all those things were in line so that I could take time to focus. And the third thing is just pushing through it, like knowing that, you know, it is a lot of work, but, um, you know, when it's your baby, it's, it's worth it. And as we, as you think about kind of looking back on this whole process of, you know, in the last three years, what do you think was kind of the hardest Thing about your early days as an entrepreneur and how has that you know gotten easier over time yeah that's a really interesting question I think you know the hardest thing is pass creating processes and passing things on to the rest of the team these are the early days you know we did it ourselves we you know took appointments we answered customer emails we answered customer phone calls all these things we did ourselves and I think a big challenge is how do we make those things and tasks scalable in a consistent way and for us that you know included investing in technology so that we can manage the inventory as we got from like a hundred dresses to now like a thousand dresses so I think as with each step in our growth understanding how do we map this out into more of a you know manual versus on and I doing it ourselves has been a challenge and will be a challenge as we open more locations as we handle more brides handle more dresses how do we make sure that we can scale this business and still not compromise any of the principles that we have going into it? I think that one of the questions we had when you spoke at our RetailX event in December of 2019 was about that scaling the team and hiring and how do you how do you find the right people in your business in particular? It's so important because you have so many people who are facing the end customer. Do you have any advice for entrepreneurs on how to how to hire those first people? I think you're going to make mistakes. I mean, we definitely, you know, hired some people who weren't the, quite the right fit for us. So I think you're definitely going to make mistakes, have an expectation. I think it's also, in, also along the lines of expectations, setting clear communication with them. Um, maybe it's like a three-week trial period 
where you can, they can test working for your business. You can test how they work with your customer, with the process or whatever it is that they're hired for. And having, having that be part of the onboarding process. I think something else is just being very, taking, being very thoughtful about what skills you need, what specific tasks are they going to be completing completed what are the expectations for them is it that they have to be fast is it they have to be great customer service like what are the top priorities and focusing on and that knowing that not everyone can do 100% of everything perfectly no one can do that right so it's thinking very very thoughtful as you put together the job description and thinking about what are the the responsibilities that they have to take on what are the expectations for how they should do those responsibilities what are the qualifications, whether it's um, their personality or whatever that is, what are the prioritized ones, maybe pick three or four. And also I think it's do the job first yourself so that you know what's important. It would be much harder to know that if you didn't at least fill those shoes for a little bit at, um, from the onset. That is great advice. And I think everyone listening to the podcast will certainly take that well into account, particularly for consumer facing businesses. One last question before we end this. So what advice do you have for the founders listening to this podcast that are looking to raise their kind of first outside capital? I think it's definitely think about what makes your business special. And I think put that, I think I heard this advice from you when you looked at our pitch deck, put that first. Like, I think, you know, it's like making sure that for us, you know, it's a consignment model is the fact that we do have some traction in sales and, and in profitability. I think that was, that was kind of buried, you know, in the, in the subsequent pages, but thinking about, you know, what is it that makes your business, how special it is, you know, what are those like, kind of like three or four pillars that make your business special and then showcasing that lean with that first so that you can hook the investor. And the second thing is, you know, what I talked about before being more thoughtful about who you're targeting and why they would be interested in your business. I think that would be also very helpful. Perfect. Thank you for that great advice. And Jacqueline, thank you so much for sharing your stories and experience on the podcast. I very much appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to the listeners for listening to the Retail X podcast. We'll have another episode out shortly. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to attend a Retail X series event in person, Check out www.retailxseries.com for upcoming events in New York. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RetailXSeries. You can also learn more about me, find fundraising resources, or submit a pitch deck at www.redgiraffeadvisors.com. Thanks and catch you next time.